Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Cold Shower Podcast. I'm your host, Taylor Kramer. It's been a while. I didn't put an episode out for two weeks, and I have a bunch of excuses, one of which is I started a YouTube channel. I only have one video up there, not very many subscribers, but it's something that I've wanted to do for quite a long time because I personally love YouTube, and now I want to be a part of that community. So I'm going to be putting out maybe some lifestyle stuff as well as whatever content I collect from collaborations, uh, maybe even some live podcast recordings and stuff like that. So if you want to go check that out and subscribe, I would really appreciate it. It's just Cold Shower Podcast on YouTube. Um, this episode today, I'm really excited about. I got to chat with one of my good friends, Travis Blunt, and we went to middle school and high school together, really became close near the end of high school and then through college and now into our adulthood. He asked me to be on and I actually had it in my own mind um, to ask him as well because he's so savvy with economics, politics, and also finances. And him and his wife, who are both 27, 28 years old, are now completely debt free. So that means they own their vehicles, they don't have any student loans, no credit card payments, and they also own their own home. And it's a very nice home. And this was through possible through a program that he participated in, and he's going to talk to us about that in this episode. But just a cool conversation, very motivating for me as my wife and I are probably at the age where we need to really take some of this stuff seriously in terms of budgeting and finances and planning for the future and building wealth that's going to last. And so he's going to be a great mentor for me, I can tell. Uh, the one thing that he said he forgot to add, and he really is passionate about this stuff and he wants to hammer this home, is the freedom that being debt-free provides. So he says, when you have no payments, you can do literally whatever you want. If you don't like your job and you have enough money saved, you can quit or you can quit and take a lower paying job. Maybe that's more of a passion for you. If you don't like where you live, you can move because you own your own home. So you're not going to be tied down to that home and waiting for it to sell. You don't have to wait to find another job. You can go work at Taco Bell and still pay the bills because they're so minimal. So these are things that he has said and really wants to make clear to people as major, major perks of being debt free. And he's going to get more into it, but please give this a listen and consider how maybe you can apply some of these lessons into your own life. And if you want more details into the actual program that he speaks on, then I'll link to that in the show notes as well. Enjoy the conversation with Travis Blunt. Hey, here we are. Trav, thanks for being here, man. I appreciate it. And it, it, it's a pleasure. I'm glad to be here today. Yeah. Go ahead and uh, introduce yourself and kind of share with people why I got you on the show. Yeah, absolutely. So my name is Travis Blunt. And um, I think uh, a lot of Taylor speakers are asked by Taylor to be on. And uh, I've been listening to his podcast for a while. And I sort of asked if I could be on. And the reason why is because I feel like I have a really good message to share to everyone. And I'm really, really excited to to get it out there. Um, and so I'm here today to talk about financial literacy uh, or more specifically how to win with money. And what we're delving into today is your personal finances. And these are not a topic that people like to talk about. But today it is going to be a different day. And so. A little bit about myself is, uh, um, I guess, why am I qualified to speak on this topic? And I will go ahead and tell you, um, at 27 years old, I became completely debt free. No mortgage, no car payment, no credit cards, no debt of any kind. Uh, and so I've learned about a system that works and I don't want to keep it a secret. It worked for me and I just want to shout it from the rooftops and spread it from the world so you can win with money too. Right on, man. Yeah, that was, uh, I think you put the announcement out on Facebook maybe a couple of weeks ago that you were debt free and I was blown away. And I thought that like you wouldn't have any clothes on because aren't like you supposed to sell all your possessions uh, to become debt free. But I know that you have like a real story to share. So tell me and tell the listeners, like, have you always been money conscious or where does that motivation come from? Yeah, so... Growing up on my childhood, um, really my family uh, did not come from a lot of money. 
Uh, I mean, being blunt with you, we were poor. Uh, I lived in a trailer park in a mobile home uh, that was not very nice. And um, actually, when when uh, we did move out of it at one point um, in my childhood, and my dad actually sold the mobile home for five hundred dollars. And wow. <laughs> yeah, and that's when I realized we were we were five hundred dollars away from being homeless. Uh, and uh, actually, the person that lived in after us, they eventually had to get condemned and tore down because it was so bad. And so growing up in that, um, I-, I knew we were poor as a kid, but I just didn't realize until later in life how much so we it really, really were. And I knew kind of starting out even as a child that I didn't want this to be my future. And um, from a pretty young age, my mindset was um, figuring out how to. Uh, get out of poverty and kind of the you know path that I had found was okay I need to work hard and get really good grades so I could go to college and I need to go to college and so I can get a job and so the money and finances has sort of been at the forefront of everything I've done from a young age and so I've just been very conscious and intentional about it from the moment I started having any money in my pocket. Yeah, it's it's strange that that's the route that you took in terms of like that was a conscious thought that you had even as a youngster as opposed to I think some people can easily get caught up in that cycle and just convince themselves that there's no way out of poverty. So, I mean, why did you go the direction you did? Was it just a motivation of yours or do you think there was like another reason too? Well, I think that um, I had a lot of good people in my life that surrounded me and were, were a good influence on it. And they kept me from um, getting trapped in that sort of victim mentality and, um, you know, help me believe and understand that through hard work, um, you can truly change your circumstances. And especially, you know, growing up in America, the land of opportunity and privilege, um, there's, there's, uh, again, just so much opportunity here if you're willing to work for it and earn for it. And, and earn it that uh, no matter where, where you are, if you have a dollar in your pocket or a lot more than that, you know, you have the ability to change your circumstances. So I think um, just just having a lot of positive influences in my life, helping me realize that um, those things were attainable and achievable um, what really made the difference for me. Um, and I think when I was a teenager, when I got my first summer job and I saw I would uh, put all these hours in working on a farm in the field and I got this paycheck and I realized what, um, you know, that could bring. I think that really sparked that fire and uh, ignited that motivation to keep on doing it. Mm -hmm. Dude, I bet that first check in the summer, like you could have probably nearly bought your house. (laughs) I tell you what I thought, I thought I was uh, rich and um, I was really uh, disappointed when summer ended and it was time to go back to school. But um, it just made me even more prepared for the next summer to get after it. Mm -hmm. Right on. So I think also what's uh, makes your story unique is that you're from the same generation that I am. And that's the millennial generation. I think that that generation kind of feels like debt is a normal part of life. Like you just take on debt because that's what uh, we do. We we need to take out loans to get a car. We need to take out loans to go to school. And then you're just kind of expected or you're you're almost desensitized to paying those loans off for the next however many years. Um, Like, what do you think about all that? I think you said it perfectly. I think that we have been conditioned to believe that way, that debt is just a way of life, that I'm always going to have a car payment. I'm always going to have a house payment. Um, I would even go a little step further and think that uh, a lot of us have that mindset that, you know, the little guy just can't get ahead, that the system is rigged um, and that, uh, you know, our generation will not be able to be as prosperous as the generations that preceded us. Um, and I uh, just reject that notion. Um, you know, I think the American dream is is alive and well. Um, I think that, uh, you know, with the right knowledge and the right attitude that um, with all the opportunity that's in front of us, um, that there that we can we can be uh, just as well off as as anyone ever has, um, especially with the, our ability to understand and use technology will be a huge advantage to us. Um, I think you're right. We have a lot of stigmatism to uh, or not stigmatism. I'm sorry. The uh, uh, there's a common perception uh, th- that um, that our generation is lazy, that we're not hard workers, um, that we're soft, so to speak, too. 
And um, I really I, I don't think that that's true. I think that uh, we have. Uh, I'm glad to hear that because I think that our generation, at least I'll speak from my point of view. Sometimes I do get uh, negative and I think that there's not these like easy points of entry to success that previous generations had. So I, I think that maybe you could get a, a middle class job, you know, pretty easy for a previous generation. So that's what I that's what I have thought in the past. And so it's kind of nice to hear someone that is a peer of mine say that, like, there's opportunity still here for us, too. It just might look a little bit different. And then I feel like every time that I complain about my generation circumstances, I'm like forgetting the fact that I'm sitting in front of a computer or recording and broadcasting like a podcast that could reach the ends of the earth. And that's not something that's totally normal. Um, and so it is like nice to be reminded that that we do have these opportunities here. Yeah. I, you know, exemplary, I, I would say there's a the uh Chief financial officer of Kraft Foods, a $170 billion company, earned that position as a 27-year-old. Uh, and so, you know, I think one thing that our generation brings to the table, too, is is traditionally a lot of uh, the, the mindset was that the years of experience were relevant in terms of the skill level. So people say, I've been doing this for 20 years or I've been doing this for 30 years. And uh, when that was looked at on a resume, that was revered and, and valued that that um, uh, person was a veteran in that field and that they must be really, really good at what they do. Um, and, you know, our generation may be seen as impatient and, and want more instant gratification. But I think that we've uh, uh, broken that mold or that um, fallacy that years of experience equate to uh, skill level. And an example I'll provide is uh, driving. Just because you've had a driver's license for 20 years doesn't make you a good driver, right? Those people still get in car accidents. I see it daily. Um, but so in the same instance, just because uh, you've done another uh, work for 30 years does not mean that you're really good. And conversely, same we may have very little experience but have the ability to learn and gain knowledge at a uh, higher rate uh, due to things like technology and our exposure to information being so easily easy nowadays that uh, uh, we can compete with um, just about anyone and out, outperform them. And I think that uh, the baby boomers in that generation um, should, should be on the lookout because we're coming for them. I love that, man. I always try to defend our generation. And um, yeah, I think putting the other generations on notice is something that um, that we have been able to do, because when you complain about a previous generation or a generation you know, after you, I think in some ways you're like admitting that your own flaws in a way. And so um, I love that we as a whole, like kind of push the envelope and want things now. Uh, I think sometimes it's a rude awakening when we don't achieve that. But for the most part, like, I think it's really healthy to to push that envelope. So in terms of you becoming debt free, like you must be that CEO or whatever of craft to have done that. Or do you have like an everyday normal person job and you still were able to achieve being debt free? Yes. My, my uh, I, I will say um, one secret sauce is having two incomes. So I am married and my wife and I both work and that uh, helps um, snowball things quite a bit. And um, being having that teammate that's on board with you and in, and just as intentional about you are um, having the same goals that align with yours financially is is a huge uh, part of that success. Um we're, we're definitely middle class. I mean, if you look at us on a statistical basis, we, we our average wage for each other is, is about average is is uh, right at the average uh, amount. So by no means are we necessarily high income earners. Um, mm -hmm. uh, we've just uh, developed a plan and executed on it and, um, you know, found ways to save money, too, that we uh, most people may not realize are possible. And um, we were gazelle intense. And when uh, that, that's more of a metaphor from a program that we're a part of. Uh, and w what that means is when you see the gazelle being uh, chased down by the uh, lion or lynx or whatever uh, is their predator, they um, their their predators faster than they are. But so many times the, the gazelle escapes because it is intense. It is running for its life. And uh, so when we talk about being gazelle intense, it's more of a metaphor about um, intentionality and intensity 
towards um, the, these topics. And so we just got really fired up. And once you get going um, on this journey, you just um, become more and more motivated. You see the fruits of, of your work start to pay off and uh, you really just dive in and, and go after it. Um, and so I think that's led to a lot of the success that we have had. Yeah, like the gazelle, they have to outrun the fastest lion, and then the lion only has to outrun the slowest gazelle. I'm not sure how that relates, but I just, I love that uh, quote. So my next question would be, um, with your with your two incomes and you being married, didn't you also take on like additional expenses because of that extra person in the relationship, or you just oh, found yeah, the yeah. benefit? Yeah, absolutely. But but uh, you know some of the things don't don't double. So for example, you might spend more on uh, food. Uh, you may have two vehicles, so you have uh, that things like that that don't exactly um, save money. But w- what you do is you still have one house payment. Um, the electricity may increase a little bit, but in your home, but it doesn't double. So there's a lot of areas like that where you are um, saving money, but also having a partner. I think not only uh, financially or monetarily benefits, but also just from the um, support that you give one another and the uh, kind of team aspect that 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 brings. Um, It's kind of a a strength. And, um, you know, I'm getting uh, speaking, you know, kind of at an abstract concrete in terms of of what that looks like for us. So, I mean, the, the first thing is, is if you want to win with money, you have to have a budget. A budget is your game plan towards success. And when you look at, if we use a sports metaphor, for example, when we look at sports teams, right, they practice, they have a strategy, they analyze their opponent, they they develop plays that they're going to run. And so when the game time comes, they practice what they're going to do over and over and over, and they've got a plan. So when they go into that game, they already know what they're going to do, and they're so in, in, uh, intentional about it. Um, when you look at companies or corporations, right, they to earn a profit, you say like Amazon, Walmart, um, they they've developed a strategy and a plan on on how to um, you know gain revenue, gain sales, and and ultimately earn a profit, and then they go to work every day executing that game plan. So for yourself, you need a game plan to tell you what to do, and that game plan is your budget. Um, and when I say a budget, I don't want to scare people away. Don't turn your speakers off. Don't quit listening because a budget is scary to most people. Yeah, they don't know how to do it. They're intimidated by it. And the other thing is um, it makes you face reality. And so a lot of people kind of live in this ignorant bliss where they have not um, taken the time to reflect on their finances and figure out where they're at in and creating a budget forces that to happen. And so for a lot of people, that's scary because they have to come to terms with where they are. Um, but I will tell you that once you create a budget, it's actually going to give you more peace. Uh, be- because again, once you have a uh, set determined plan with your money, you're going to feel like you gave yourself a raise. Uh, and and, and uh, instead of your uh, money telling you what to do, you're telling your money what to do. So you'll end up having more at the end and you'll have more uh, peace be because you know exactly where your money is going and um, and you know exactly how much you have. Yeah, that was I mean, full disclosure, we had uh, you came and stayed at my place a couple days last week. And so we had some of these conversations and we went out to eat uh, to one of our favorite restaurants. And I, di- I hadn't seen you in a while, so I didn't know if you were like a wet blanket with your money. Like, you know, you don't spend it ever um, what your plans were. And I was like, hey, we're going to go to this restaurant. Like, you know, do you mind um, eating out again? And you were like, dude, yeah, my budget gives me permission to spend. And so I think that's like, that was a great quote for me because, uh, you know, it says that you have this, this plan in place so that you, you feel comfortable about where your money's going when you yeah, spend it. I'm, I'm so glad you, you remind me of that because that's another common misperception about a budget is that it's restrictive, um, that it prevents people say, I, I don't want a budget because then I can't have anything. I can't have a life I can't buy anything. And you're exactly right. The budget is the complete opposite. It gives you permission to spend. So when you're on a budget, um, you can still um, have the things that you want. You can buy some new shoes. You can buy a coach purse. You can go uh, buy another vehicle, per se. Um, The budget allocates money and you decide how much money that is. And so when you uh, set aside budget for vacationing or uh, purchasing an item, when you go and buy it, 
there's no guilt because you've already pre-decided what you are going to spend. Um, Another benefit of it, too, is that um, if you are married or in a relationship, um, it eliminates a lot of the uh, stress or fighting that comes around money. Um, Statistically, money fights are the number one cause of divorce. So when you and your significant other are on the same page in agreement about where the money is going and how it's being spent, uh, it is relieved so many other issues that can stem from that in the marriage and just take a lot of pressure off of that. Uh, so that that's another um, item with, with the budget or another benefit to having one. Right on. So what else in terms of concrete like steps or advice that you followed, worked out, or that you want to share? So I'm going to touch on the budget just a little bit more. Sure. I will give some examples. There's some really great apps you can download. Um, I personally use one called Every Dollar. There's other ones like you need one that's called You Need a Budget, there's, there's dozens of them. And what's cool about them is they're not a lot of work. There's, it can be a, an app on your smartphone. You can link them up to your bank accounts, to your credit cards, and they track all of your spending for you. And you literally take your finger and you drag and drop um, into the categories that you've predefined. And so it literally takes me five or 10 minutes a month to do my entire budget. So that's another thing. Another perception that I want to knock out is that they're time consuming because yeah. they're, they're, they're really not. Um, when you actually start to create a budget, it's going to take you a few months to actually get a solid budget down. And that's okay because we know a lot of the things that, uh, that go into it, like what your house payment or rent payment is, what's your car payment, et cetera. But, um, how much do you spend on toilet paper? How much do you spend on cat litter? How much do you spend on toothpaste? You don't know. And a lot of those are going to go into categories. You don't have every specific item lined down. But um, when you kind of estimate what those should be um, and you can adjust your budget as you move on and see what those expenses actually end up being. Um, after you've got your budget made, there's kind of a plan, uh, a seven step plan. Uh it's, I call it the baby steps. Now, I didn't create the baby steps. Those are from a program called Financial Peace University um, from a gentleman named Dave Ramsey, if a lot of people mm-hmm. have heard of him. So uh, that's his plan he's created, and it's a plan that I've used and I've seen work for myself and many others. Uh, so I was going to go over uh, there are the seven baby steps next. Yeah, go ahead. Okay, so so step one is saving $1,000. Um and so some people can do that immediately. If you've got a thousand dollars in the bank, you've already completed step one. And that's just to give you some cushion, some money in case things happen. Step two is paying off all debt besides your mortgage. And so how we do step two, they call it the debt snowball. And what you do is you list your debts in order from smallest to largest. And so uh, you're going to make minimum payments on all of the debts except the smallest one. And you're going to want to put all of your extra money towards that one and just attack it and pay it off. And then when that one's paid off, you're going to go to the next largest debt and continue to pay it off. And they call it a snowball because you just start knocking out debts. And as you get rolling, it starts happening faster and faster. Um, and it, psychologically, it's just a really great way to stay motivated, too, because you can see your progress. You start paying off debts and you become more and more intense. Um, some people argue that you should um, pay off the highest interest rates first. But following this method, you're going to become debt free so fast. Um, interest rates aren't your problem. Um, okay. The after all the debts are paid off besides your mortgage, baby step three is saving three to six months of expenses, not three to six months of pay. Um, basically three to six months of what you would need to survive and pay your bills on. And so that's what we call your emergency fund. Um, and so your emergency fund is important not to commingle that money with other money. We actually take ours and we put it in a separate bank account uh, so that it doesn't get spent. And it's important that the emergency fund is for emergencies. Uh, needing that, buying a car is not an emergency. Uh, wanting to go on vacation is not an emergency. Example of emergency is I lost my job. Uh, my transmission went out of my car. I need a new roof. My daughter needs braces. Things like that uh, that were unplanned, uh, unforeseen things. And the, the reason for the emergency fund, too, is it gives you that peace. Uh, you can weather any financial storm 
Um, the average person, it takes about, once they lose a job, about six months to find another one on average. Hmm. And so it provides a cushion during that time or just when unexpected expenses come up. So step four, once you've got your your emergency fund bill, is to save 15% for retirement. Um, so that's one that I wanted to touch on a little bit more uh, in depth because uh, our generation, millennials, we're not doing a good job saving. And I, I understand it. I hear it. a lot of us feel like we don't have the money for it. Um, or we really don't know how, or we're skeptical that um, that that where that money's going to be when it's time for retirement. Um, but I want to say that uh, when you set, when you save and invest for retirement, um, there's this beautiful uh, thing called compound interest. And so when you have your money in, invested in, in, and uh, you earn a return on it, um, that return is. Uh, reinvested on top of the amount that you've already put in. And so then when you earn interest again, you're earning interest on the amount you put in and the interest you earn. And so it grows and grows and grows and grows. And so instead of, if you're looking at like a graph, instead of the line being a straight diagonal line, it actually becomes a big curve. And so your money um, compounds and it grows exponentially. And it's so important to start at a young age. There's uh, like an example where, uh, one person starts investing $100 a month and their sibling waits five years to start saving. Uh, and they're saving 500 or three or $400 a month, something like that. Um, and even though they're saving way more, they never catch up. Hmm. Um, and so the important thing is a lot of us think, well, I'll do it later in life or I'll wait till I have my finances are in better order to do this. And, and really, that's why we put it in step four. We do want you to be debt free beside your mortgage and have a, um, your emergency fund saved. But once you reach those, you really need to be saving. And a lot of your um, employers have matches, too. And those are great because a match is like free money. Um, right. And so even if you don't earn a big return, the, the um, you're getting a guaranteed return from from your employer. Um, so that, that's my rant on savings or for retirement. I could really go into that one a lot more, but just due to the constraints of time, uh, we'll, we'll move on to baby step five. So baby step five is saving for your children's college. So if you have children and after you pass step four, you want to start saving for them. Um, baby step six is paying off your home early. So after you've got your children's college fund established, we want to go ahead and attack the mortgage debt and get rid of that as fast as we can. Uh, and then baby step seven, once you've done that, is to build wealth and give generously. Um, mm -hmm. And so those are, uh, again, what we call the baby steps. And it's a proven system. Over six million people have been through the class and done it. And, um, you know, many of them have become debt free and so they've really bucked the trend that debt has to be a reality of our life. Um, one one uh, quote uh, that I did not make up is, and it's kind of more of a motivational thing, is that don't let debt be the thief of your future. And so that's what I the kind of the mantra that I wanted to emphasize in today's podcast is that reject the notion that that has to be a reality for you because it doesn't. Yeah. I want to jump back to uh, maybe about step five. Uh, some of these I've actually naturally started implementing. I think I overheard at one point, even though I haven't followed uh, this program to a T about the paying down the smallest amounts of debt first. And that was something that I've put uh, for my student loans. And it's been really helpful, really motivating to see that number just shrink. Um, but I, what was maybe step four and five? Just list them. Yeah. So four, maybe step four is saving 15% of your uh, income in retire uh, toward putting it towards retirement. Okay. And baby step five is uh, saving for your children's college. Okay. So looking at like step four, so my job offers a matching program. Um, am I to like disregard and not put like, I feel like my money gets split in a lot of different directions just naturally. And some of those directions are positive, like saving for retirement. Um, am I supposed to cease that until these other steps are completed first? Or is it okay to trickle them in different directions a little bit? That's a, a very common question. And for the guidelines of the program, they recommend to uh, cease all retirement savings until your um, debts are paid off with the exception of your mortgage. Okay. Um, and the reason why they uh, say that is 
I mean, and it's a good question because you're missing that company match in the meantime. So a lot of people are resistant to, to doing that because they they're thinking that they're losing that money. But what um, what ends up happening in the long run is uh, you end up building more wealth because the um, w- what they found is is the, the quickest way to building wealth is becoming debt free. Uh, and uh, Dave Ramsey's people actually wrote a book uh, called The Everyday Millionaire, and they interviewed. It's the largest study of millionaires ever performed, and they interviewed over ten thousand millionaires. Um, and and that was the result that they found from their survey was the the quickest way to becoming a millionaire is to become debt free. Um, and so, uh, for that reason, they recommend, um, becoming debt free before we worry about retirement savings. It's a difficult thing to accept and, and do. And I struggled with that myself, but, um, it's a proven strategy. Okay. Yeah. I think that would be, that's something that I really have to think about. Um, cause all of this is like definitely uh, ringing true for me, but still, like acknowledging the challenge behind it uh, as well, because no matter what, I still feel like I know best. And but I know that that's not true. Um, the other thing that we had talked about that I thought was interesting is the fact that like you're going to be wealthy just by working a middle class job. Like if we can fast forward 30 years from now, I think you're going to be a, a wealthy individual, but you may have never hit it big like in the job you know sphere. You'd just be working your middle class job. Is that true? Well, only time will tell, right? But but uh, that is definitely the plan. And, you know, what's what's cool about uh, um, these things is and again, from that book, Everyday Millionaires, we found that uh, it's relatively easy to become a millionaire. There were so many uh, millionaires that never earned over fifty thousand dollars in their lifetime. And they're millionaires today simply by following uh, those behaviors and saving. Uh, because if you take your savings over time and then you add, uh, you know, your interest for your returns and the compounding interest that occurs from it building off one another, it grows. It starts to grow fast. Uh, and, and so uh, the reality of many of us becoming millionaires is not unrealistic um, in, in our lifetimes, retiring as millionaires, I should say, um, w- without ever having to earn six figure incomes. Right. Man, I think that that's such a like an exciting prospect um, is just knowing that you can achieve that, because I think a lot of people look forward to retirement for the most part. Like, I finally don't have to work this job. But at the same time, I also think a lot of people are like, oh, what about when that check stops coming in? And so people aren't as prepared for retirement as I think they need to be. And that's like one of the big takeaways that I'm having from what you've said in terms of the steps as well. Yeah, absolutely. And historically, Retirement is a relatively new thing in this, you know, um, history of our world. Uh, people used to work until they died, and they say it wasn't until the last, I think, seventy five hundred years that that uh, retiring actually became a, a thing that was common. And when it did, um, people weren't living a long time after they retired. So our um, you know, life expectancy has grown tremendously. Um, so it used to be that people would retire and live five to 10 years. And so now we're live, uh, we're reaching retirement and living 30 to 40 years. And so if you really, uh, truly still want to retire at the traditional ages of 62 or 65, whatever it is uh, nowadays, um, you're going to have to save a lot more because you're going statistically speaking, you're going to live a lot longer. And that's Mm -hmm. why it's so important to get started early. Yeah, right on. So I don't know what you and your wife have planned in terms of like, if you want to have kids or not. Um, But have you given any thought to like, I don't know if it's ironic, but I think it's cool. Like from the financial situation that you were in as a kid, as opposed to the financial situation that your kids may be born into if you decide to have kids. Well, uh, we definitely do plan to have kids. The timeline for that remains unknown. Right. As of today. But um, uh, definitely, I, I think that uh, being a parent uh, bears a lot of responsibility. So if you are parents listening to this, um, you need to have these conversations with your kids and have them early and instill these values in them because you cannot rely on hoping that the school system will, will teach these because they teach a lot of great um, um, skills and educational items, but uh, personal finance is not typically one of them. And um, most kids these days are going to go to college. And so there needs to be conversations that are had about um, student loan debt, student loans in general, the cost of college, the degree, the return on the investment, 
um, the type of school, it'd be a state school, private school, out of state, that sort of thing. Um, and if, as a parent, you are doing a disservice to your child and sending them up for debt and failure if, if those conversations aren't being had. So it is, uh, you know, your responsibility as a parent to, to um, look after your child and educate them on those things so that when the time comes, they can make informed decisions. Because I think so many of us graduate, we, we know in high school, we need to go to college. Um, and I, nowadays, I think we've come to the realization that not everyone does, uh, actually. But that's another topic of discussion. But for people that decided that they are, um, I, I think, like you said, before, debt has become a way of life. We just accept we're going to need student loans. We need these. They're a necessary evil to pay for college so we can get a job. Uh, but um, for the sake of time, I'll, I'll uh, you know, cut that, that short. But there are a lot of ways to, to fund college without going into debt um, and a lot of ways to do that without compromising your future. Right on. Are, are there any other things in terms of the program that people need to know? I know I, yeah. I wanted you to, yeah, guide the conversation. Go ahead. Okay, okay. So I uh, learn. another one uh, that I'm really uh, passionate about is talking about mortgages, right? So a lot of us uh, have them or are going to have them. And that's usually the last, you know, even if you're following our program, that's the last thing that gets paid off. Um, and it's usually the largest debt that you have second to student loan debt. Uh, so I wanted to talk about mortgages because I feel like a lot of people get them wrong or they don't, and they don't know any better. So the, the traditional mortgage is a 30 year mortgage. That's what most people do uh, in, in uh, this program. Uh, we say no to a 30-year mortgage. We want a maximum of a 15-year mortgage. And a lot of people, when they're buying a home, uh, don't have a good concept of what they can afford. Uh, and the bank says, well, you're approved for X amount of dollars. But by no means does that mean that you should purchase a home for that amount of dollars. Yeah. Um, can I, I want to say, um, for those that haven't purchased a home before, when we first got our pre-approval and we were given the kind of range that we could technically afford, the home we ended up settling on was nearly half as expensive as what we could have been approved for. So and luckily we knew we understood. Absolutely. That. And, and I will say you are probably in the minority as far as that goes. Um, and so I'll, I'll give some concrete figures here. The recommendation is not to take out more than a 15 year loan. And the monthly payment should not exceed more than 25% of your take home pay. All right. And I wanted to give just a, a little example of math here too. So they, today in the U S the average home price is about $235,000. And in some people are listening to this are going to think that's extremely high in some parts of the country. That's going to be very low. That's the average. Okay. So on a, and the average 30 year um, mortgage interest rate, to, as of today is about 4%. Now that fluctuates a little bit all the time. Um, but so if we take those numbers into account, we do a 30 year mortgage on the, on a $235,000 house over the course of those 30 years, you're going to pay $170,000 in interest. You're paying almost as much as interest as you paid for the entire home. Now, say you take that, um, mortgage and you cut it to a 15 year, uh, you're only going to pay 57,000 in interest. So you've saved, over $110,000. But you want to know the beauty of a 15-year mortgage is you think if the uh, um, the term is cut in half, that the payment must be double, right? If we're going from 15 to 30, I must have to have a really high payment. Well, that's not true because the, uh, you, have, you have a lower interest rate on the 15-year mortgage and uh, um, you're saving all those years of interest that you're not paying. So the, the uh, 15 year versus a 30 year is usually 25 to 30% higher. So okay. it does mean that, that you um, can afford usually less home than you would otherwise. But again, you're going to pay it off so much faster that if you want to move up in house, you can. So it's just delaying gratification for a short period of time to ultimately have more wealth. Because if you're saving $110,000 interest, that's money staying in your pocket versus going to the bank. Uh, so it's a no brainer when we think about it in terms of the math. Um, but you're going to see that most realtors, mortgage brokers, banks are going to steer you towards the third year because that's what is most common and what we're used to. And that allows people to buy more and bigger homes. Um, okay. So, so that was one thing. And the other thing I want to talk about is cars real quick. So the average person purchases a new vehicle. When I say new, at least new to them, they purchase a different vehicle every three years. Mm-hmm. But the average person, the average term of the loan is 84 months. Uh, so they're buying a new car every 36 months. 
but they're financing it for 84 or seven years. And so what happens is you're never paying your car loan off. You're constantly in, in, in debt and the car is depreciating faster than you're paying it off. So we, so, uh, I think they say it's about 35% of of people with car loans have negative equity in them. And what that means is they owe more on the car than it's worth. Uh, So that's a huge problem for a number of reasons. One, uh, you're upside down in your loan. That's when you hear that term, that's what that means or negative equity. Uh, That's not an asset. That's actually a liability on your, when, when you, uh, look at your your personal balance sheet, so to speak. Um, also, when you if you were to total that car, you get in an accident, wreck it, something happens to it. They don't pay off your loan. The insurance only pays what the car is worth. So the worst situation you could ever be in is you're making payments on a car that no longer exists. Um, so I want to encourage people to uh, be more conscious when you purchase a vehicle and remember what the point of it is, is to transport you from A to B safely and reliably. So we buy cars to impress people that don't like us and don't care. And uh, at the end of the day, have you ever gotten in your car and be like, my life's so much better because I have this? No. Yeah. Only, um, the, only the first week when you have the new car. Yeah. Yeah. It, and it wear it wears off fast. So you get a week of gratification and seven years of payments. <laughs> right on. Um, and, and the last thing about cars is leasing. That's like taking money and throwing it in the trash. Because uh, at the end of your term of your lease, you have nothing to show for it. Um, and you start all over with another lease. And so, again, that's... The, um, leases are not a positive way towards building wealth. I'm not mad at you if you do it, but um, in terms of uh, becoming debt-free and building wealth, it's not conducive to that. It, so all the things that you're saying, like they all make total sense to me. My question would be, is this like an all or nothing program? Like, can you find, well, I don't even want to give people the option of only like dipping their toe in the water. Like, I, I guess it, it seems like this has to be an all or nothing to really achieve like a ton of success. Um, but do you know people that have just implemented parts of this and it's been helpful? No, no. So that, it happens a lot because, um, you know, we all have first we have different opinions. So people agree with parts of the program and disagree with others. And the thing you have to remember is that, uh, again, um, the creator of this program has been doing it for 30 years and, and, and they've seen they call it being ish. Right. You're you're doing it sort of you're doing it ish. You're you're partway in, you know, you're lukewarm. And without that all in approach, without that gazelle intensity, it, it doesn't work. Um, and when you try to just implement parts of the plan, um, you're going to have mixed success with it. So uh, there's there's a lot of people. And I'll tell you what, what commonly happens. is They start ish and they realize it doesn't work. And so they tried it and then they come to terms with that. And then they finally, um, you know, they're not making any progress. The, their you know, wheels are spinning, but they're not moving anywhere. Um, and that's typically once they reach that realization that that you, you have to be all in is where we really start to see progress. Okay. Is there anything else? Uh, I want to talk about uh, insurance a little bit, or, um, more specifically uh, life insurance. So what they find too, like some of the um, uh, like n- number one causes of bankruptcies are like unpaid medical bills. Um, and that's another, a large topic, but um, the uh, so many of us, especially millennials, don't have life insurance and it's so cheap. It's, there's no excuse not to have it. Uh, I'll give you an example. I have a half a million dollar life insurance policy and I think I pay about $20 a month for it. Um, real close to that. And if you are single, um, and you have nobody that depends on your income, well, you probably don't need insurance, but if you, again, are, you are married, you have kids, anyone that depends on your income, you need life insurance. None of us plan to pass away, but we can all think of someone we know uh, that has passed away in a car accident, cancer, something that they died way too early from that was unplanned. And the cost of the um, taking care of your loved ones is so cheap that it's not worth passing up. And so um, also keep in mind the need for life insurance is not permanent because once you've built enough wealth, you can self-insure. You have enough where 
even if you pass away, there's enough to take care of your uh, family and loved ones. Okay. Do some people keep that life insurance policy plus any wealth they can pass down? Yeah. And once you start building a lot of wealth, there are sometimes strategies to use with life insurance um, to, you know, tax loopholes or just uh, ways to pass on um, income to, or money to uh, their descendants. Um, there's financial instruments there where it can make sense to continue to have insurance throughout your whole life, uh, life insurance. And there's also things like whole life insurance and mechanisms that, that can be used um, more as like a financial tool. Um, but, um, you know, those are things that uh, you really don't have to, uh, most people don't have to worry about anytime soon until they start um, becoming high net worth individuals. Okay. So Trav, we've been going for about 45 minutes. Um, would you be able to give a quick, what is that? Oh, sorry. That's my notes. Oh, I thought you were showing me something on the screen. Do you have anything else on your notes? Um, I've, I've covered most of it. Um, you know, the, the to kind of like a, as a conclusion or a recap, I mean, yeah. about, you know, 10% of, of winning with money is is the actual knowledge. And I would say 90% is attitudinal. So again, you know, even if your budget wasn't that good, uh, you are still going to do so much better by having a plan than no plan. Um, and uh, to anyone that thinks, well, you know, I, um, I don't make enough money. I, I can't, um, you know, cut spending. I can't put more towards retirement and things. If you are determined to do that, you can certainly find a way, um, you know, whether it maybe it's finding another job, maybe, uh, maybe it's getting a second job, better paying job. Uh, maybe it's adjusting your finances. I will tell you that my wife and I, some of the things that we did to save money, we cut cable. Um, my wife gives me haircuts. I don't pay for haircuts anymore. Uh, we quit eating a lot of meat uh, and that cut our grocery bills in half. Um, we quit paying for lawn care. We do it, do it ourselves. I've tried to do every car repair that I can myself. I changed my own oil, um, in the age of YouTube, there are so many things that you can do yourself without having to pay someone. Um, and so there are so many areas in our budget where we might not think, uh, we could cut, but we certainly can. Um, maybe you say, well, I pay too much in rent. Well, that's not necessarily a thing that has to stay fixed. Potentially, you could consider changing your living circumstances. So my point is, is that when we uh, actually make a budget and we see where all of our money is going, that's just a starting point. And once we um, get that all laid out on paper, we can look and see where there are areas where we can make changes to. And the reason you don't you don't have to you get to choose how you spend and at what speed you want to do it. So if you are in a you know position where you know you want to have those things that's fine i'm not mad at you you don't have to eat rice and beans you don't have to turn off your cable it, it's your choice uh, and the budget gives you that that freedom to make that choice but if you um you know get into it you'll just start to find opportunities and opportunities to make money and save yeah that's exactly what i was going to ask you is like give people a little couple minute gazelle speech um I know I'm fired up after hearing what you were saying. And then like, I'm really proud of the fact that, you know, you are, are debt free at such an early age. I'm excited to see just like all the possibilities that I think open up to you. And then, you know, just the future that you're going to be able to have. So I'm going to be like in your ear quite a bit, asking you a lot of questions. Uh, after my wife listens to this episode, I mean, we have some serious things to consider here. So I appreciate you coming on and sharing this stuff. Absolutely. And, and, you know, I just want to challenge people to ask yourself, what are you willing to do uh, to to achieve it? Because uh, how bad how badly do you want it? And you know, ask yourself those questions and and, and think on that and reflect. Uh, because if there's a desire to do it and a will to do it, you you absolutely can. I, I mean, I know many of us are going to have student loan debts. There's a lot of things looming over your head, and you might feel like that that you'll never get out of it. And I assure you that you can. And the first step towards that is, again, creating a budget and then finding um, ways to either reduce expenses, increase incomes. And I'm telling you, when you make a budget, you will feel like you gave yourself a raise. You will have more money at the end of the month. You, um, and what comes from all this is not only becoming debt free, but just financial peace. 
you're not worried about money all the time. And again, less fights with spouses. Anyone can do this. It doesn't require a lot of knowledge or or know how, you know, as I say, a lot of it's um, common sense, so to speak. Um, and, and again, this is a, the, my wife and I, we teach this as a class and it's a nine week course. So it's, it's really a lot to fit into a podcast. And so really just wanted to highlight and touch on this stuff. Um, there are a lot of courses out there. The one that we teach again is financial peace university through Dave Ramsey. Uh, it's a great one for people to check out if they're looking for more resources on how do I do this myself and how do I get more information? Um, there are plenty of others out there as well that I think are equally as good. The main thing is having a plan and executing that plan and in um, staying intense. You know, um, when you when you get on a budget, again, it's not restrictive. It's not a constraint. It gives you permission to spend because you've pre-decided where that money is going to go. I will say, while my wife and I were on our journey of becoming debt free, we still went on vacations. Uh, we still bought ourselves things. We still went out to eat. Um, we just determined how much and when we're going to do that. And you can still enjoy the, the, the things that you, you like in life. Right on, man. Well, I appreciate it uh, so much. And guys just take into consideration what he's shared and kind of evaluate, um, you know, implementing some of this stuff because it's exciting to think that we can achieve a level of wealth without having to necessarily come up with uh, the next big idea or even getting a huge promotion, but something that we can obtain through, like he said, you know, 90% attitude. Um, so once again, Trav, I really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely, Taylor. And and you just sparked my mind. I wanted to touch on one more thing that yeah. I think is is uh, significant importance. Um, even if uh, so, generosity. Um, when you have your finances um, under control, when you become debt free, it gives you an opportunity to not only live like no one else, but also to give like no one else. And you have the opportunity to drastically change other people's circumstances in their life. And I will tell you just earlier this year, there was someone that was a huge role model in my life growing up that was there for me that shaped and molded who I am. And they had fallen on some hard financial times. And I had told them at one point, hey, if there's ever anything I can do to help, let me know. And that was kind of just uh, said as more of like a being nice type of thing. Like, hey, I'm Mm -hmm. here for you if you need it. But they actually called me on it and said, hey, I need some money. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, I will tell you, I had the ability to do it and, you know, discuss with my wife and I, and we were able to bless them with that. And I can't tell you, um, I'm sure they gained some benefit from it, but we, we felt way more satisfaction. I'm, I'm sure than they did. And for, for those, w- when you give, you get so much more than, than you give, you really do receive that. And the, um, the feelings for that is awesome. And when you have the ability to, help other people in their life or change their circumstances. I'm not telling you, there's not a bet, a more rewarding feeling that you can have. So um, w- one great thing coming out of this is your ability to, to be generous uh, and don't underestimate the uh, power of that and the um, reward that you gain from that. Trav, you're preaching, brother. I love it. Uh, man, that's that's such a good spot to end because I I take that so serious is just the generosity and having the opportunity, you know, in positions of, um, you know, whatever, when you're in a good position, uh, being able to share with other people is just, yeah, it's like the best feeling. And so I have a lot of respect for that approach. And and not only that, I honestly think that we all have a responsibility to give back to a society that has given us so much. And so once you're in a position to do that, um, I think you'll love doing it. But I also think there's sort of a sense of obligation there, too, because we've taken uh, so much, consumed so much from from the world that we've grown up in. I think it's our responsibility to get back in and and, uh, help those that aren't as fortunate. Word up, man. All right. I'm going to stop the recording here and we'll say our goodbyes once we're offline. Okay.